How is it that we got an extra hour and I'm still running behind? <laughs> Story of my life. All right, well, let me open our time together in prayer. Gracious God, we do give you uh, all glory and praise uh, this morning uh, for what a great God you are, uh, a God who has demonstrated uh, his love for us, that while we were still sinners, you sent your son, sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, that we might be justified by his blood, and even more, that we might be reconciled to you and have peace with you no longer being your enemies, but now uh, being uh, your children, uh, being able to uh, stand in your presence because of your grace toward us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, that that uh, same Spirit pours your love into us, and we pray that it would uh, speak to us this day as we consider your word together, the word that you gave uh, your servant Paul, to speak to the Romans. That same living word uh, speaks to us. And so we do ask and pray that you would speak to us this day by your word, um, showing us the, the glories of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, so for the last uh, couple times, we've been in this section of Paul's letter to the Romans where he has picked up the book's uh, main theme, which is justification by faith. And last uh, week we saw in chapter 4, he turned to uh, the Old Testament and looked at Abraham and held up Abraham for us as the exemplar of what it means to possess a righteousness that comes through faith, a righteousness apart from the law, a righteousness that Abraham received uh, before he was circumcised, uh, a righteousness that Abraham um, was credited to him. And we saw last week that word that um, counted or credited uh, uh, repeated itself throughout the passage. Um, and it's on uh, account of this faith that Abraham could, um, could respond, trusting in the promises of God uh, even against all outward evidence to the contrary. Um, so truly, what a great um, description of faith. And we saw Paul ended the chapter saying, the words it was counted to him were not written for his, Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. And notice the pronoun shift there from going talking about he, Abraham, to talking about our and us. And we'll see those pronouns continue as we pick up our reading of Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 5. And just to uh, go ahead and, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. But today we're going to focus our attention on verses 1 through 11. There's a lot going on in chapter 5 and I wanted to make sure that it all gets our full attention, so um, even though it's not a long chapter in terms of length, it is a, uh, it's a full chapter in terms of content, and I want us to be able to uh, ca uh, capture that fullness. So I'll read the entirety of the chapter, but this morning we'll be focusing our discussion on verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5. So hear now the word of God. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. 
But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it in our hearts this morning. So after a chapter of pointing to Abraham as the foremost example of being justified by faith, Paul now draws conclusions for us. Notice how the chapter starts, therefore, uh, concluding language. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Um, so uh, in a sense, he starts unpacking, and that's what he's going to do really for the next um, four chapters, unpacking the benefits of the justification by faith. So, um, so what benefits do we see in verses 1 through 11? So if Paul is starting to, um, having established the idea that we have an alien righteousness, a righteousness that comes uh, apart from us, other than us, that's imputed to us, and we can, can um, now have right standing with God because of this alien righteousness, what, what are the effects or results of that? Yeah, right. Okay, so it's, uh, we, we now have peace with God, and as Ronnie says, like, we, we can, the Bible uses peace in different senses, like, there's the subjective feeling of peace, peacefulness, um, but this one is, as, as Ronnie's saying, is more that objective sense of peace, um, that sense of two parties who were at hostility or at odds with one another now have peace between them, it's that kind of understanding of peace. Two um, parties that are, were at odds have now been reconciled. Um, so there has been a, a breach that has been um, uh, healed. There has been warfare, there's been enmity, and where that once existed, now there's peace. And we'll unpack both peace and reconciliation more as we go on. Good. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, access uh, into this grace and access by faith. And the word for access there, um, it, it's very like courtly kind of language. So it it's, kind of has that sense of um, an introduction. <laughs> um, you know, we, we have like, like I can't 
even though last time I went to England, we lived, like I could see Kensington Palace from out our Airbnb window. So like we were neighbors with the prince and princess. Like I couldn't just walk into their house, well, the living quarters of their house, um, you know, without some kind of introduction. If I tried, I'd been like pummeled by some British security guard. Uh, you know, you need an introduction. You need someone to bring you in, um, to, you know, to give you access to the throne room. It's a place we couldn't go without having um, this kind of access by introduction. Um, so now, because of this faith, we have obtained access into, into the, the gracious presence of the sovereign. Good. And, and notice we, we don't have just access, um, it, the second word in that, uh, access into this grace in which we stand. So it's not like one of those, oh, I got to meet, uh, you know, the prince, and then we'll never see each other again. It's, it's permanent access. It's, it's access now in which we can stand firm. It, you know, the idea is of, of abiding. Um, so like when that word for stand there is like, it's, it's now a place, we, we don't just have access to it, like I can come, but now it's a place by faith, we have access and we can stand. Good. Other benefits of justification. So we have peace with God. We have reconciliation. We have access uh, into uh, this grace in which we can now stand. What else would you say? Benefits we see of justification. Yeah, what the standing? So it's so it's access. That word for that's translated stand has the has the connotation of abide. So it's like we can, it's we can we can stand there. We can abide there. It's not like like again. Like I'm trying to think of, um, you know. Yeah, you're you have a right to the place like you're, you're not you're not again it's like the difference between going to a royal's house and being a guest who's expected to leave <laughs> to as we'll see and as Paul's going to uh, unfold like you know we are going to be um, you know we have the same language um, in terms of the the spirit um, that we'll get to in chapter eight like we now have access by the Spirit of God to, you know, plead in God's presence. So it's, it's, it's a, a permanent relationship, not a temporary. Like when I went to see the crown jewels, like we're doing, like literally I'm on a conveyor belt <laughs> going by. Like so like you couldn't literally stand right next to it and see, like you could stand far away and look at them. But if you wanted to get up close, like you're on a conveyor belt and you get that 10 seconds that you have and then you either can go back around and get on the conveyor belt again or, but you couldn't stand there. <laughs> um, and it's this idea like, you know, we are in the royal presence and, and it's a place that, that we can now abide. Um, it's a place not of, of um, it's not a temporary reprieve. It's a place that we, we now inhabit. Yeah, Bill. I think the word in him means that uh, as long as we're close to Christ, we get all these good things like learning to appreciate our suffering because they really fit everything. Yeah, and not just appreciate, but but rejoice, like exult in our sufferings. Like, um, and as you say, like the key word through all this is, as Bill says, um, it is through Christ. Like, you know, it, you know, it's, it'd be helpful if I turn back to the, it's through him we have access or been introduced by faith. Like, we haven't walked into the presence of God on our own. We've been brought into the presence of God by Christ. Like, it's through him that we have access 
to God's presence. It's through him that we can stand in, in God's presence. It's through him that we have peace and reconciliation with God. None of these benefits are things that, that we ourselves could do or achieve. It's only things that, that Christ has done um, for us, and we only have access through him. Good. That was, that was a helpful um, add-on there, Bill. Yeah, so we, ha we, we rejoice in the hope of glory of God. And notice how we're getting a little of the now and not yet. Like, the current reality is we now immediately have access to the grace of God. And we have immediate access in the presence of God. And yet we still hope for this coming glory um, and, and rejoice in that hope, we have real joy. And the, the word for hope there isn't like, um, the English word hope doesn't con, uh, convey um, the strength of this word. Um, in, in the Greek, um, hope, um, like in English, hope expresses our, desi our desire for something that may or may not happen. Like, I hope the Red Sox have a better season next year. Like, that's my hope. Um, but whether they will or they won't, like my, you know, who knows? God knows. Um, uh, but, but the Greek word for hope is, is a confident anticipation of, of something that's certain that we do not yet see. So it's like, it, it hasn't come to pass yet, but we can trust in it, hope in it, as if it's already taken place. And, and we can do this because it is God. Our hope is in the glory of God. Like it's, Our hope is in the promises that God has made. And so therefore, like it's, it's not, oh, I hope it happens. It's hope in the biblical sense is I know it's going to happen. Even though can't see it yet, um, it's a confidence in, in, in that God is going to, to do what God has said he will do. So hope has that confident, confident anticipation is the way that one person expressed it. Um, so we have this hope that our, our, our glory, the glory of God, um, like, you know, it, it's this idea of both seeing, being able to stand and experience the glory of God, because again, think throughout scripture, um, everybody who comes into the the presence of God, it, you know, just the presence of God's glory uh, is undone by it. <laughs> you know, Isaiah, woe is me. <laughs> I'm a man of unclean lips. <laughs> um, like, you know, uh, so how, you know, our hope is we are hoping to, to be, um, you know, to, to, as the end of the chapter, we're hoping to eternal life through Jesus Christ. We have a hope of eternal glory. Um, so there's both the sense of the glory of God as God possesses that glory, but I think there's also this future hope of we're going to be transformed into that glorious image of God for which we are cre created, but which has been defaced by human sinfulness. Like, so it's, it's both, uh, again, an objective glory of God, and then it's also our subjective experience of that. Right. But there's more. Yeah, so it's not just a, we can't, it's not just future joy, 
It's not just rejoicing now in something that's going to pass. It's rejoicing in the presence. Um, and, and that's, this, the, as Scott says, it's, this is where we can rejoice, exult uh, in our sufferings. So um, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to, to rejoice or uh, exult in our sufferings? Yeah, Ryan. Okay, so this rejoicing in afflictions can indicate the situation in which the exaltation takes place. So, like, even in suffering, you can have joy. What else might we say about rejoicing in our sufferings? Yeah, Chris. Absolutely, that we can, so we, we have the, the rejoicing in the midst of these circumstances, but it's more than just, uh, you know, the context. The, the sufferings themselves we can see as a tool that God is using somehow, and as Chris says, we might not know the specific reasons that, that God is laying an affliction on us, but we know the God who controls the affliction. So we know that he is working, as Chris says, working all things for our good and his glory. And we can therefore rejoice in the midst of these things. We can rejoice in the things themselves, not like we're masochists and we're seeking them out. Um, no, like the sufferings are, are bad. And, and you know, we see Jesus weeping for the sufferings um, of the people. So it's not anything good in the affliction itself, but the affliction is a means of directing our eyes toward God. Like when we, we it, it's, a tr it's a demonstration of the transformation in us. I love Calvin captures the, I think, the typical human reaction to, to sufferings. Um, uh, sufferings, Calvin says, provokes a great part of humanity to murmur against God and even to curse him. Where God sustains faith, however, affliction produces endurance. Like, you know, so it's a, a you know, through faith, it transforms the way we experience suffering. Rather than shaking, being a cause for us to shake our fist at God or say, what's God doing to me? As Chris says, we now have the grounds to, to exercise this hope, this firm trust in, in the certainty. I don't know what's going on right now. Like right now, it's a mess. Like, but I, I know the one who is working all things for my good. And, and therefore, I can have joy even in a situation that causes most other people who don't have the same access to this grace through faith to, to murmur and to curse God. Yeah, Bill.
Yeah, we have a destination, a, a purpose, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you have that exact same language here. We, we just said, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And through, you know, um, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And, you know, it's the exact same language that, that Bill is pointing, Paul's going to use again in chapter 8. Because we can suffer these things because we, we know we're headed to somewhere. Um, and the idea, like, I, I kept thinking of, oh, I'm blanking on his name, though, but I kept thinking of my first football coach, um, who I was pretty uh, convinced was um, a sadist at the time, um, who, like, would put us through, you know, in, in Nashville summers, like, and, you know, wearing that, that helmet that, you know, on a, I guess I was in second grade or something like you know my neck or body can barely hold the helmet up and you know and and you know in in the heat and like you know it it it, it was this grueling torture but he you know his purpose is like this kind of chain here by going through that affliction like that built up endurance in us that when we you know, that we could, you know, it was, it was there for a purpose. So hopefully we would win football games. We, we didn't, by the way, but <laughs> which made the situation, the suffering uh, less endurable. Um, uh, but, but it's that kind of like, it's, it's affliction for a purpose. Um, it's a tool that God is using to produce um, endurance in us that, you know, it, it's this idea that, that, you know, we're, we're, it's not affliction for the purpose of afflicting us. It's that, uh, you know, putting us in the cauldron in order to purify us. So it's that more kind of purifying sense of testing. Um, and that the word for character here actually um, has that, uh, the, the real word, like if we were doing a very literal translation, translation, it, it's actually not a word in English. Provedness, <laughs> like it's 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 the characteristic has been proved in us, like testedness, like the affliction is demonstrating through us how God is um, changing us, transforming us, testing us um, uh, for the purpose of building this hope and certainty. In him, and so we, you know, the suffering produces endurance. The endurance produces testedness, and the testedness produces this hope. Again, this confident um, uh, trust in, const you know, confident anticipation of the glory of God. Good. What else? Anything else you want to say about the suffering aspect? Yeah, Teresa. Yeah, and again, it's for the purpose of, uh, as, as Bill showed, to see, you know, to trust more in the hope, like this confident expectation of eternal life with God, that we see that as, as more valuable than anything and, and worth the endurance of, of anything this life throws at us. Like, you know, it's, it's in the midst of those afflictions. It's, it's, those afflictions are causing us to look to God. And we can have joy in the midst of them because we are experiencing the benefits and blessings of being in God's presence. And the more we have that experience, the more we're prepared for this eternal life with him. Like, you know, the more we trust in him. Like, to go through it once, well, maybe that was, a quirk, like feeling God was with me, but like, like the more and more you see how God has been with you and has enabled you to rejoice even in the midst of affliction, 
the more you turn to him. So it's, it's, you know, again, changing us from people whose fundamental problem is we want to trust in ourselves to be a people whose fundamental response is to trust in God and to have this confidence in God rather than this self-reliance, self-confidence, which is what, as Paul explained earlier in the book of Romans, has been what has been keeping us from God. So I, I would say, John, that the, the idea, it, it's kind of a catch-all suffering. So I think it, it captures both those things, kind of like sufferings that we go through because we're followers of Christ. I think it also can, can refer to the sufferings by which God is disciplining us um, to, to root sinfulness out of us. I, the term is broad enough to carry both those things. But the idea is, again, it's, it's not when we endure them, we're not in a situation where we see it as we're experiencing the wrath of God. Um, that's been taken away. It's now we experience those inflictions as an experience of the love of God as a parent disciplines their child. Like, you know, they're, they're not doing it for the sake of, you know, um, again, because they're sadists, they're doing it for a purpose. They're, they're disciplining, they're, they're causing the child to go without something, to suffer for the purpose of, of, of love. Like, so the child won't have that same action or attitude anymore. So I, the, the term here is broad enough, I think, to cover both those. Um, the, the idea, though, is because of, of grace that we have by faith, uh, received by faith, that you know, our sufferings now can be productive rather than we experience them as destructive. Um, and so that's the idea. Like Even in our sufferings, we can experience joy and see these sufferings as a means not to question God, but to, at the end of this chain, you know, suffering, endurance, testedness, hope. Like, that's where we're getting. Like, to see it as part of this, this chain of, um, uh, or, you know, process that we're going through that, that has an end. And, and that end is this, um, I keep flipping to chapter 8. <laughs> I want to get to chapter 8 so bad, I guess. Uh, uh, you know, that, that, you know, this hope, uh, and I think that's the idea, hope does not put us to shame. Like, it's the hope is, is building something in us. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, like, you know, it's, it's the presence of God's Spirit crying out to us while we're in the midst of suffering that God loves you, like reminding us of that. We have this internal witness that keeps us from despair, keeps us from seeing um, afflictions as destructive, that, that helps us direct our lives toward the God who loves us.
which leads to my next uh, question. So how do you know that God loves us? Yeah, Ron. Okay, so there's an there's a subject again a subjective experience. Like, how do you know God loves us? You know, we subjectively know it because the Spirit is testifying with our spirits. God loves us, but what's the objective proof that Paul's giving us of God's love? Yeah, how do we know that God's loved us? We know he loves us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> like, yeah, this is objective proof of God's love. So we have the subjective experience of the spirit inside of us, you know, testifying to us, you are beloved by God. But we don't just have to rely on, you know, the subjective experience, do I feel loved in this moment? There is objective, definitive, certifiable proof that God loves you. And that, that, that certifiable proof is the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, so why is that? Like, how does the cross prove God's love to us? Elsewhere, Paul says it proves God's wrath towards sin. <laughs> um, it can do both things. But how does the cross show God's love for us? Yeah. And even more, as Paul's giving us this example, like we can imagine somebody dying for someone. Like, I, you know, I tell my children, I would give, gladly give my life if it saved yours. Like, I can imagine that situation. Or um, fellow soldiers in combat. Like, you, you always hear these stories of heroism where, you know, the guy throws himself on the live grenade to save the rest of his platoon. Um, so you can imagine a situation where someone, you know, gives his life for someone they love, um, you know, for someone who they consider good, someone whose life they consider is worth living. Like, um, it's like uh, um, Carton in Tale of Two Cities. Like, the two, you know, the English guy and the French guy, the look like the French guy is heading for the guillotine. So this kind of drunken, ne'er-do-well English guy takes his place. So the French guy who has the young, beautiful uh, bride can, can go live a happy life. And so, you know, and, and the, the novel ends with that, that line, you know, um, it's a far, far better thing than I, uh, that I do than I've ever done. It's a far, far better rest that I go to than I've ever known. So, like, it's this idea. We, we can imagine a situation where somebody is dying for a friend, um, for a family member. Paul ratchets it up, and, and as Tim's saying, in, in this situation, um, you know, we can't imagine um, what God has done. For while we were enemies, he died for us. Like, we, you know, he's, he's, he sent his son to die for us when we were still at war with God. Um, and, and it's this great picture. This is how much God's love loves us. Um, his love is both poured into us, and that, that idea of poured in, in verse um, 5 is it's like, you know, when you, it, it's generous pouring. <laughs> it's like pouring over kind of idea. Um, you know, God's love has been lavished upon us and brought home to our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. Um, but God has done this really difficult thing that is to justify ungodly sinners. Um, and he's done it um, by, you know, Christ dying for the sake of the ungodly. Um, 
you know, the perfectly righteous person who deserved, didn't deserve death at all, who, who deserved eternal life, um, died in our place. Um, and this is the amazing proof that Paul is pointing to of, of God's love for us. So we have that, you know, lavish internal testimony, a subjective experience of that love by the testimony of the Spirit, but we have this objective fact that enables us to hope for the future. Like, the, how, how can we trust that, that God is going to bring us to this, this future end? Because look what he's done for you in the past. <laughs> um, and that's the idea. Like, um, the, the verb tenses here, um, you know, the, the idea is, um, oh, where's my note? Um, the event of the cross is past. You know, he died. Um, but the fact that it occurred remains as a present proof of his love. Shows. That's present tense. So this past act shows us presently God's love for us. So we have in an objective, current demonstration of God's love for us by this unimaginable, purely gracious act of God for us, that he died for us. The cross of Christ, therefore, is both a demonstration of, of God's um, justice, that sin is, is, deserves wrath and punishment, and God doesn't ignore it, but it's also a demonstration of God's love that he sent his son to bear the penalty, to take the wrath that we ourselves deserved. And it's a completely gracious, loving action on the part of God toward us. Um, you know, and it happened before the reconciliation. Um, like it's, it's, it's what helps bring the peace and reconciliation with God. Yeah, we can, again, have this. A God who loves us and both gives us... A, a, his spirit in the midst of sufferings to, to you know, give us that internal reminder, but again, has also given us objective proof of his love. And if he did that, like, and that's Paul's logic here, um, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Like, it's this idea, like, we have confidence that in the now, uh, right in the current circumstances of now, we have confidence in the things that are not yet. Like you know, as Paul presents the story of redemption, justification isn't the end. Like justification is part of a process. And again, like I'm going to flip over to <laughs> chapter. I wanted to flip over to chapter eight, um, but we'll get there, and who knows when? Um, uh, eventually, hopefully. Um, but it's you know. It, we're part of, of this glorious um, experience. And how can we have this hope of future glory? 
We can have hope of that future glory now. We can rejoice in it now. Even in the midst of afflictions, we can rejoice in that hope now because of what God has done for us in the past and what he's doing in our hearts by his spirit in the present. Like those two things, by helping us focus on the love of God that has been objectively, definitively demonstrated to us by his sending of his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us when we were haters of God. He died for us. That demonstrates his love. And now that we've experienced that love, how can we keep hoping in it? Because we know it. Um, it's been demonstrated to us. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, uh, I, I do it again. Chapter 8. <laughs> it, it, it is, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, um, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So, like, again, it's, he's, like, we might, like, he's, he's only giving us a little spirit here. And, and what, wait, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And, you know, we might want to say, hey, tell me more about that, Paul. And Paul's like, oh, don't worry, I will. <laughs> um, um, but it's, again, the way that, Justification by faith has this real transforming effect in the present. It's not just a future transformation that we hope for. It, that future transformation is going to indeed take place. We will have glorified bodies one day, as Paul will say in chapter 8. But we have an experience of that same joy now because of this confident anticipation um, that God loves us, that God will do it, um, that we can base on the past act of God for us. Um, and it's by his um, demonstrated love to us that now reconciliation has taken place. Like, it's, it's possible to be um, for a judge to declare you righteous, and that's it. Like, you, know, you and the judge go separate ways. Um, so reconciliation is taking justification or, you know, it, it's taking something that's in justification a step farther and explaining for us. We, like, we, we wouldn't necessarily think of justification as bringing about reconciliation. Um, but, but this is, you know, is the difference about um, reconciliation. These verses affirm the amazing truth that God's undeserved love has through Christ transformed people from being God's enemies into being at peace with him, being his friends. The fact that men have been justified means that they've also been reconciled. They're no longer God's enemies. They are now God's friends. Um, and as we'll see in the second half of this chapter, like, whereas the one man caused sin to rule over us, the second Adam, Christ, allows us to reign. Like, it's, it's not a replacing of, you know, one ruler for another. <laughs> you know, it's, it's allowing us to reign with Christ alongside him, through him. Um, we have been transformed. And we're not just, you know, beaten enemies, cowed into submission that are meekly going on. No, it's, we've been brought into the very household of God and as we'll see in future chapters, we've been adopted as his children. We who were once his enemies have now been brought by the love of God shown to us through the cross of Christ. Um, and that justifying work of the cross is transforming us now and into the future.
this future hope you have. All right, well, uh, we're at time, so let me uh, close us in prayer. Gracious God, it um, one can hardly uh, wrap one's mind around uh, the depth of your love for us. Um, we can and, and uh, recognize um, acts of, of sacrificial love um, in, in humans and society and in literature, but, but none of them can compare of, of your gracious act toward uh, your people, um, the people you made your people by that gracious act, transforming enemies into friends, um, bringing about a reconciliation with a people who were at war, at enmity with you, people who were competing for your power and your authority and your rule. Um, instead, we've been um, reconciled to you, and we can uh, uh, be made heirs of your kingdom rather than competitors for it. Um, what a glorious and beautiful picture of your love that you've given to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. So we do uh, pray that you would help us uh, rejoice in your love and have that confident expectation in you and your kingdom, a confident hope that, um, that brings joy even in the midst of, of sufferings in this life um, because we know uh, in whom we believed and where you are taking us into eternal life with you. And that life is worth uh, far more than, than the things of this world. Help us to have that, that biblical hope, we pray, uh, in the name of our loving Savior, Jesus Christ, through the indwelling Spirit. Amen.